you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 63 of the Banner Branch Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtic season ticket holder, Timmy G. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. How's everyone doing? What's going on? Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of the Roaring Twenties here on the Banner Banter Podcast. Pretty cool to be doing this for technically another decade. <laughs> Dad jokes. Uh, pretty crazy, but before we actually really dive into what's going on with the Boston Celtics over the past week, what's upcoming for the Boston Celtics, I just want to send my condolences to David Stern and his family. David Stern, the former NBA commissioner, passed away uh, last week. Um, I think it was Thursday or Friday. I think it was Friday. Um, don't hold me to that, but he did pass away. David Stern was an incredible and you could even argue one of the most important people in the history of basketball. Like you could say it was James Naismith and David Stern. Like that's no joke how important David Stern was. David Stern made the NBA global thing. He created the WNBA, which means he, you know, cared about equal rights and believed that women should also have their own professional basketball league. So I hope, the Stern family is grieving well. Uh, he was an incredible public figure, and no one, and I mean no one, could take in a boo from a group of people more than David Stern. David Stern, every NBA draft, people would boo the living crap out of him, and he loved it. He loved every single second of it. Did he make some great decisions while he was the commissioner at the NBA? No. But overall, the NBA is not as big as it is today without David Stern, so rest in peace to David Stern. If you guys have noticed, I do have a cold, uh, so bear with me during this podcast. I'm gonna, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm gonna sound like garbage through most of it, but I'm here for you. And I'm gonna fight through it. So, Celtics have another three and zero week. They are currently twenty five and eight. They beat the Hornets one hundred nine and ninety two. Then they beat the Hawks one hundred nine to one hundred six, and then they beat the Chicago Bulls on Saturday night one eleven to one hundred four. Currently, they are second overall in the Eastern Conference. They're one game up on the Miami Heat, and they're five games back from the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think anyone's going to be catching the Milwaukee Bucks this season because Giannis is playing at a different level. They're so deep. They're such a good team. Anyways, but hey, if we can have... If we can avoid them in any way, shape, or form, then hey, let's do it, you know? Uh, currently, the Celtics are also first place in the Atlantic Division. They're two and a half games up on the Raptors and four games up on the Philadelphia 76ers. And <clears throat> from December 31st to about the start of the All-Star break, the Celtics are playing 24 games in 44 days. These next six weeks for the Boston Celtics are insane. I mean, they they have so many games. And I mentioned it last week, how it's like four weeks in a row that they play four games and seven nights. This is a huge, huge time for them. And they play some good teams. They play the Heat, they play the Lakers, they play the Bucks, they play the 76ers, etc., etc. So this is, um, I mean, they also play the 76ers again. They play the Clippers, they play the Rockets. It's a huge stretch for them, but they also play some bad teams too. So they should be able to survive. And what's crazy about the playing the 76ers in the Bucks game, so they play the 76ers next one, next Thursday in Philadelphia on the second night of a back-to-back, which means for the second straight time, the Celtics will be playing the Philadelphia 76ers on the second night of a back-to-back with the 76ers getting rest. And then the following Thursday, they play the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee on the second night of a back-to-back. Like, come on, NBA schedule. Like, what Like, what are you doing? But, you know, they do have the 76ers at home. They have the Lakers at home. Um, and then, But they are playing the Heat and the Rockets on the road. So there could be some tough losses coming up for the Celtics. But as long as they can beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, like they did this past week with the Hornets, the Hawks, and the Bulls, they have the Wizards coming up. They have the Spurs coming up. They have the Pelicans coming up. These are all games that they should and have to win. And that way, you know, if they lose to the 76ers, it's okay. Or if they lose, or if they beat the 76ers and they lose to the Bucks, that's okay too. 
I am really struggling during this podcast, and we're only like five minutes in, so this is going to be tough, but we're going to make it happen. Now, before we dive into the Hornets game recap and what's coming up next week, sudden dud of the week, canter banter, all that stuff, there's obviously a lot of free agent rumors going around and some all-star voting uh, that came out as well. So first off, let me just get the the rabbit out of the hat, if you will, the, the white elephant in the room or whatever, the elephant in the room, whatever it's called, Andre Drummond. Adrian Wojnarowski, a.k.a. Woj, reported that a lot of teams are interested in him, especially the Atlanta Hawks, who are in the midst of possibly trading a lot of pieces to get Andre Drummond to come play with Trey Young and John Collins, which I'm sure would be a lot of fun to watch. And Woj also reported that the Boston Celtics have interest. I'm all set. I am a hard pass on Andre Drummond. I understand he's the big man us Celtics fans have wanted for years and years and years. But a friend of mine in Michigan, his name's Ross, he's a big Pistons fan. And he said he's a great stat guy, but he doesn't actually make impact on the game. And that's so true. If you actually think about it, if you take away Joel Embiid in the Eastern Conference, what are you worried about with a big man? Seriously. If you take away Joel Embiid, like if you don't have to play Joel Embiid in the playoffs, what are you worried about? Andre Drummond ain't stopping Giannis Antetokounmpo in the playoffs. No, you need wings. You need <laughs> Cantor ain't going to do it. Tice ain't going to do it. Time Lord ain't going to do it. Vincent Poirier ain't going to do it. Andre Drummond ain't going to do it. It's going to be Shemi and Jalen and Jason and Gordon and Marcus. You're going to have to throw the wolves at him. Andre Drummond is a lot of money. Andre Drummond means you're getting rid of Gordon Hayward and a first-round pick and some other pieces. I'm all set with that. The way Gordon Hayward's been playing the last couple weeks since he's come back from his hand injury and his foot injury, I've been very happy about. Now, if Gordon Hayward approaches Danny Ainge and be like, hey, man, I'm not signing here next summer. I'm not going to opt in. Then fine. Okay, sure. Throw him out in the street and give me Andre Drummond. But if it's for Hayward and Drummond straight up, Hayward is going to help you go further in the playoffs than Andre Drummond is, in my opinion. So I'm all set on Andre Drummond. If he was cheaper, sure, let's have a conversation. But overall, he's a good, he's a guy that can rebound the ball and score in the paint. Obviously, we need that. But we also need some room protection too, and he just ain't going to give it to us. He's not. I'm sorry. He's just not going to do it. It's going to clog the lane a great deal for Jalen and Jason and Kemba, and I'm, all, I'm just all set with it. So great player. Just not needed for the Boston Celtics. Now, as far as the All-Star voting goes, first round of All-Star uh, votes came out. The top guy, the top five guys from the West are basically already locked in because of how much, how big the gap is between the people below them. But it looks like the five guys will be Luka Doncic from the Dallas Mavericks, James Harden, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi Leonard. As of right now, Luka will be the captain and not LeBron, which is pretty crazy and just shows how much the NBA is an international game, and you can thank David Stern for that. Absolutely. Now, as far as the Eastern Conference goes, which is what we're really focused on, I would say four out of the five spots are locked. Giannis will be the captain. Giannis has the most votes. Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, and Trey Young. Then you have a little battle between Kyrie and Kemba. Kemba is only... At the time, I'm sure it's changed. Maybe he's in front of him now. Maybe he's even behind him even more. But Kemba's only 450 votes behind Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving has missed like 23 straight games or something ridiculous like that. So that's why the the fan voting is a little annoying. So hopefully Celtics fans saw that, got pissed off that you know their old point guard that they hate and want dead in a ditch is in front of their current point guard and actually voted for Kemba, who should be on the All-Star team. And that would be Kemba, Trey Young, Siakam and Bede and Giannis Antetokounmpo, which would be great. If Kemba can start in the All-Star game, that would just be really, really cool. As far as Jason Tatum goes, he's about 200,000 votes behind Siakam for that last front court spot. Now, again, this doesn't mean that they're not going to make the All-Star team. This just means they're not going to be like guaranteed a spot. They have to have the players, the coaches, and the media vote them in as well. Jalen Brown is about 250,000 votes behind Kemba, Trey Young, and Kyrie. Hayward has no shot of getting voted in, and I don't know if Hayward would even be a consideration, but if he keeps playing the way that he's playing right now, there might be three, maybe even four Celtics you know, players on this team, but again, we'll have to see how they do against you know the Lakers and the Heat and the 76ers and the Bucks, not against the Suns, the Pelicans, and the Wizards. Anyways, this is what's really annoying. 
Taco Fall is currently sixth place in the front court in the Eastern Conference, ahead of Sabonis from the Pacers, Drummond from the Pistons, and Gordon Hayward. You guys know I'm not the biggest Taco Craze fan. Like, Taco being better, being a good basketball player, I'm here for it. I want Taco to help this team win. I want him to produce on the court. But if you dumb, ignorant people are going to vote this dude in to possibly start for the All-Star game, kindly throw your phone into a toilet and flush it down the toilet. You cannot be that stupid. Why are you voting for him? Why? What has he done to be an All-Star? Maybe this is the grumpy old man in me, but you have to be fucking kidding me to think that Taco Fall deserves a shot in the All-Star game. Maybe the G League game. Maybe. And he's not, like, I guarantee you there are better players in the G League. Stop it. He's tall. We get it. He's got a cool name. We get it. He's a great personality. We get it. He looked ridiculous conducting the Boston Pops. We get it. But all that stuff that I just mentioned doesn't mean he should be an All-Star. I Part of me hopes that Taco Fall gets enough votes to actually start in the All-Star game. And then the NBA, when they redo the CBA, they don't let the fans vote anymore. And we can call it the Taco Rule. That way you guys can all have your freaking Taco legacy for the rest of your life. I am sure Taco Fall is one of the nicest human beings in the world. I know he works his long legs and his butt off every single day to be the best NBA player that he can be. But if you are voting for him instead of Jason Tatum or Gordon Hayward or even anyone else in the league that is so much better than Taco Fall, you are the problem with the NBA today. Oh my God, I will never understand it. I literally almost did a new bit today called Let's Talk About It or Give Me Something to Talk About where I just complain about this taco f- craze that is just taking over the world. People literally are chanting, we want taco when he's not even in the building. I am so sick of it. <sighs> so the other day, the Boston Celtics beat the Charlotte Hornets 109-92. And the Celtics did not have Jalen Brown in this game due to an illness. And that means someone clearly had to step up. And that man was Gordon Hayward. Holy guacamole, did he have a great game. 21 points, 10 boards, 6 assists, 0 turnovers. And he is so reliable. I know every once in a while he misses some open shots. And you're just like, ugh, Gordon, come on. Be better. But when he's inside that elbow... Doing that turnaround jumper that looks like he's moving in slow motion. What a thing of beauty that is. Every single time Jason um, Gordon Hayward turns around right at the elbow and does that fadeaway, I know what's going to go in. I literally just turn around and look at the scoreboard to see what the score is. I know what's going to go in. And I probably just jinxed him and he's probably going to miss the next 78 shots that he takes of that. But while it was happening, I fully enjoy it. And I am so much more confident with Gordon Hayward inside the three-point line the Jason Tatum. Game on the line, at the three-point line, you want Tatum or Gordon Hayward? I'll take Tatum. Inside, give me Gordon Hayward any day of the week. And folks, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how, like, I think it was around Christmas, how much better the Celtics offense works with Gordon Hayward on the floor. And it's true. The Celtics are 10.3 points better per 100 possessions when it's Kemba and Hayward. The Celtics are 2.3 points better per 100 possessions when it's just Hayward out there. And then the Celtics are, ready for this, 19.2 points better per 100 possessions when it's Kemba, Hayward, and Tatum. And you're like, hey, what about Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown sat out for his, I think, 16th game over the last like two seasons or something like that, and the Celtics have not lost. The Celtics are literally like 16 or 17 and 0 when Jalen Brown doesn't play. Isn't that wild to think about? Absolutely insane. Like that's kind of scary and Jalen's having a great year and I don't I think Jalen's probably missed a couple games, but like that's last year, but like that's crazy to think the Celtics are undefeated without Jalen Brown, who is arguably, 
your second best player this season. That is B-A-N-E-N-A-S. But with that being said, the Hornets game, it felt like it was so long ago because New Year's Eve felt like it was so long ago. Tatum had a really nice bounce back game over his terrible game against the Raptors and on that Saturday night at TD Garden when they lost. Not the Christmas Day game, but that Saturday game a couple days before. He shot the three-point ball well. He had another three-steal game, which he keeps getting. And, and it's actually like kind of wild like when you think about it with how well he's actually performing <clears throat> in those type of circumstances with his defense. He's been great. Marcus Smart came back, and he, he was terrible. He thought he had to take Jalen Brown's place. He didn't have to do that in any way, shape, or form. He forced up so many bad shots. His shot selection was terrible. I, I don't know if he can see straight, but my God, his shot selection is not making me want to see straight. It is terrible. He went 1 of 7 from 3, but he did dish out 7 assists. And I really think Marcus Smart's playmaking is very underrated. We always talk about his hustle, his grit. How, you know, his defense, but sometimes he can make some really good and smart passes. And that was very impressive, especially in this Hornets game. And the Celtics won this game in three different ways. First off, their first quarter defense was fantastic. They only allowed 18 points on the road. They contested shots. They were flying all over the place. That was great. Then they started off the fourth quarter on a 9-0 run. And then, <clears throat> because they, it was back and forth. In the second and third quarter with the Hornets, it was they would you know Celtics going a five zero run, and the Hornets going a five zero run. They would exchange baskets back and forth, but that nine zero run that they had to start the fourth quarter was really the reason why this game kind of got blown open and they won. Was it one hundred nine to ninety two? It was because of that. So, I, well, I'm going to talk about it in the Bulls game, but like we have to stop letting some teams hang around. They, if they just got to put the pedal to the metal, I know I've been preaching about it all year, but it's just something that has to happen. Because there are going to be better teams than the Charlotte Hornets that if you can't put them away, they will put you away. So it's pretty scary. And then the craziest part about all of this, Ennis Cantor had a career high six blocks and another double-double. Ennis Cantor had six blocks. The guy who can't jump over a Sunday Boston Globe literally had six blocks. It's incredible. And after the game, he called himself the stop sign? Like, what? He Ennis Cantor's a funny dude, man. Uh, I'm I'm telling you that he his Twitter's really funny, and yeah, Ennis Cantor career high six blocks. I don't think Cantor has six blocks like all year. I'm gonna look this up right now. I guarantee you, Cantor doesn't even have six blocks all year. Give me a second while I look this stuff up. <clears throat> How's everyone's day doing? You guys good? You feeling nice? Feeling great? Feeling delightful? All right, let's see here. This year, Ennis Cantor is averaging 0.9 blocks a game. So a little bit under one block a game. And then he basically multiplied that by six in one game against the Charlotte Hornets. Now we have the Atlanta Hawks game. The Atlanta Hawks had four days to get ready for this game, and it really showed. They were very healthy. John Collins was back. John Collins, oh my God, I would love John Collins on this basketball team. John Collins is everything we want the Time Lord to be and more. John Collins dominated the first five minutes of this game. He was all over the place. He was hitting threes, catching alley-oops, catching lob passes in the post, making Daniel Tice look like he was a JV high school basketball player. He was so good. But he did have a scary fall late in the game, landed on his tailbone. Odd. You could hear the thud. It hurts so bad. He could barely walk off the court. I hope he's okay. But man, John Collins, I know he was suspended for 25 games for, P I believe it was PED use. It might have probably, he probably just snorted some Adderall or something. But John Collins is so good. And I love watching him play. And man, I wish the Celtics had that. Kemba and John Collins off the pick and roll. My God. Speaking about pick and roll, Trey Young is one creative cat when it comes to pick and roll. He can do a lot of things. He can take a screen, take a couple steps back, shoot it. He can go through the screen, under the screen, over the screen. Like he can do so much different things and I was really impressed with it. But the thing that I wasn't impressed about and we're going to talk about this very shortly is uh Jason Tatum and the word layups. Uh they really don't go well together in the same sentence uh he did not have a very good game at all i think he finished like two two of 16 but he did have 10 free throws so so that's good but um <clears throat> jason tatum needs to start hitting his layups uh real soon like real soon and we're going to talk about that in a little bit just uh, i have a rant coming so 
patience is a virtue. But once again, uh, just kind of like they do in the Bulls game, which we'll talk about in a second, the Boston Celtics came out looking like a JV basketball team. They were down 18 points to the Atlanta Hawks at home real quick. And thankful for Jalen Brown. We have to be thankful for Jalen Brown. In the last 60 seconds of this first quarter, he hustled. He scored a bunch. He scored a couple hoops. He was diving all over the place, his defense, and I think that really lifted the spirit of the team and helped them. His energy on both ends of the floor were great. You could sense the team was like, oh, shit. Okay, Jalen. All right, we'll get there. And guess what? That is what an all-star does. And I still stand by the fact that if you had to pick between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum right now – for some one of those two to make the all-star team, you give it to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown has been consistent all season, or at least over the last four, five, maybe even six weeks. Jason Tatum has not been. Jason Tatum is a roller coaster like no other. And speaking of roller coasters, just a quick little side note. I don't know if any of you watch the show Ray Donovan, uh, but one of the latest episodes of Ray Donovan, it's on Showtime, it's like season seven. Uh, they were talking about how they went to Canopy Lake Park, but they called it Kenobi Lake Park, and that really drove me crazy. But that's all. And the great part about Jalen, sorry, the great part about Jalen Brown this year is he's very patient. There were a couple drives that Jalen had, like on fast breaks, where old Jalen would just put his head down and see if he could throw it down and hopefully get fouled, and then he'd he'd be in his head, force it, you know, he'd dribble the ball off of his knee and go out of bounds, and you'd you'd want to kill him. But now he's like being patient, using Euro steps, stopping, letting the defender go up and over him with a shot fake and then lay it in. He had a couple really nice, patient, fast breaks where it was one-on-two, two-on-one type things, and he really did a great job with it. Now, the Celtics obviously creeped their way back, and they were only down two at halftime, and then they were up two going into the fourth quarter, but the Hawks just wouldn't go away, and it was kind of annoying. And uh, speaking of annoying, Marcus Smart's shot selection. I think Brad had an idea where if Marcus Smart was playing because Kemba didn't play in the Hornets, uh, I'm sorry, the Hawks game and the Bulls game because of the flu, and he might not even play against the Washington Wizards tomorrow, uh, or I should say today if you're listening on Monday, um, <clears throat> because he has the flu. Get enough rest for him as possible. If Kemba can get a whole week off and then play uh, the Spurs on Wednesday at home and then Thursday against 76ers, let's, let's see how it goes. But with that being said, I understand why Brad was like, let's post Marcus in the post against Trey Young. Let's do it. I think that will work out. And guess what? I kind of agree with him. And then I think Marcus was just trying to get too cute. Marcus is physical. He has a size over Trey Young. Pound the ball low. It worked on like the first play. And then after that, Marcus was taking like stupid shots. Like he was like Hakeem Olajuwon in the post. Like he was like six inches taller than the guy doing a little shimmy. It didn't work. God, it was so annoying. It was so freaking annoying. But with that being said, Marcus Smart did have nine assists, and he had one turnover. And he had some great passes attacking the paint. He would just put his head down, realize, oh, crap, and then dish it, kind of like Kemba. So I was wondering if Kemba has maybe helped Marcus Smart realize, drive to the paint, you can find the open guy, but maybe the open guy is closer to the basket because I feel like Marcus Smart's the kind, type of guy who will just kick it to the wing and then, you know, they just kind of start over. But in this game, <clears throat> oh, and speaking about Marcus Smart, at the end of the game, you know, the Celtics were uh, up three at the time, I believe. Yeah, they are up three. And obviously Trey Young was going to shoot a three-pointer. And Daniel Tice did a stupendous job defending it. Stayed on his feet, didn't bite, put his hand up, blocked the shot. Marcus Smart got the ball. And he literally purposely tried to walk over Trey Young like he was um, Allen Iverson stepping over Tyron Lowe. It was like, come on, dude. And then he got upset that um, that Trey Young did something. Like, come on, dude. Grow up. Like, that's that's the part of Marcus Smart where, like, I laughed at it. But when you think about it, you're like, dude, why are you being a twat? Like, just stop. Just get the ball, dribble it out, and let's go home. Because that's going to juice him up the next time we play the Hawks. Like, I don't want I don't want to lose to the Hawks because they were fired up because Marcus Smart was disrespectful. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to do that at all. But speaking about Daniel Tice, Ennis Cantor and Daniel Tice were huge in this game. They combined for four blocks. Cantor had a great dunk, like driving down the lane. It just threw it down right on Alex Len. I talked about Tice's game-saving block, and I was really... I was so impressed with Tice's footwork in that last possession. 
I feel like Tice is a guy who's always on ice skates when he's outside of the three-point line. You're like, oh, God, he's going to get absolutely washed here. He's going to break an ankle. It's going to be terrible. But he was great. He kept his hand up. He stayed low to the ground. And he blocked that shot. And it helped the Celtics win. And, hey, the win is a win in the NBA. And speaking about wins are a win in the NBA, the Bulls game. The Celtics had no right to win the Chicago Bulls game because they played terrible in the first quarter. They let the Bulls creep back into the fourth quarter when they shouldn't have in any way, shape, or form. I mean, to start off the game, the Celtics were super lazy. They must have had like three or four turnovers in the first couple minutes. They let Zach Levine go off. He hit his first four shots, and they were down 12 just like that. Then Brad called a timeout, and then they were like, oh, shit, yeah, maybe we should play. And then they went on a 24-10 run, and you're like, okay, the Celtics are back. You know, Gordon played really well during that run. I think he went 4-5 or five in the first quarter, so that was good. Jalen Brown had six points in less than 50 seconds, so that was great. But, you know, then they let the Bulls come back. And I think the Bulls went like on a 9-0 run or something, and then they came back. And then they were only up three going into halftime. Sure, Tatum had 12, Gordon had 12, Jalen had 12. That was great to see. You know, Jason Tatum had a really nice game shooting the ball, 12 of 10 from the field, so that was good. He even shot the ball near the hoop well. Again, that's good. Gordon had another terrific game. Gordon Hayward, I understand that he is a... I, I don't want to compare it to Andre Drummond because Andre Drummond is a, you know, box score stat filler and makes no impact on the game. Gordon Hayward does that, but he also makes a huge, oh Jesus, huge impact on the game. Excuse me. I am like dying. You know, he had 24 points, five boards, three assists, one steal, nine of 14 from the field, 50% from three, just an overall great game from Gordon. Now, I didn't have my game, my eyes glued on this game for the entire time because the Patriots were playing. But I was trying to take as many notes as I could, kind of going back and forth. It was kind of like a, a tennis match. It was like, oh, oh, Pat Seltz, Pat Seltz, Pat Seltz. But J- I did see that Jalen hit a step-back three-pointer. And if that is going to be a thing, I am all here for it. Now, do we need to shove it down our throats? Absolutely the hell not. But if this is something that slowly starts building and Jalen can produce off a step-back three-pointer like Tatum can, I would love that because that means Jalen's ball movement, I mean, uh, ball handling is improving, that means Jalen's confident, and that means Jalen's shots are going in. I would love that. Absolutely love that. Speaking of things that I love, the way that the Celtics came out in the third quarter, classic Boston Celtics. Tough defense, played physical, hands in passing lanes, blocking shots, pushing the ball up the court. Javante Green had such a vicious and sick dunk on a breakaway. I hope I hope Javante Green's in the dunk contest because that kid can fly. He really and truly can now. Can he fly like Gerald Green? I No. Former Boston Celtics Gerald Green, but... Man, I really enjoyed that dunk that he threw down. It was it was vicious. Speaking of vicious, Ennis Cantor in the post. This dude, the Chicago Bulls wanted nothing, and I mean nothing to do with Ennis Cantor. He scored like seven or eight straight points all in the paint towards the end of the third quarter, which really grew the lead for the Celtics a little bit. And Grant Williams had a great play on Thaddeus Young. Was it Thaddeus Young? He... I think he switched onto Thaddeus Young off of a screen, poked the ball loose, and threw this dime in between a couple defenders, fast break, bounce pass. It was a sexy, sexy pass by Grant Williams. I, I didn't know he could do it. And speaking about Grant Williams, you know he started the year 0 of 25 from 3? He Ever since then, he's 7 of 19, which you could argue is better than Marcus Smart. Like, I can honestly say, since Marcus Smart has been back, and since Ennis uh, Grant Williams went 0 for 25, I trust Grant Williams taking a three more than Marcus Smart. I understand that Marcus Smart hit a huge three late in that Hawks game to really expand the lead a little bit. So that's fine. Marcus Smart is known to hit some big shots, but I don't know. Grant Williams versus Marcus Smart, who would you rather have shooting a three? <laughs> since Marcus Smart's been back, I'm going to take Grant Williams. But again, that could change real quick over a game. But right now... I'm kind of feeling the Grant Williams three-point vibes, but I'm not saying he needs to jack him up. I'm just saying, kind of like Tice, unless you are a wide-open young man, do not force any three-point shots up in any way, shape, or form. Thank you very much. But <clears throat> back to the Celtics game. 
Uh, I mean the Bulls game real quick. Uh, you know, one thing that I really hated about the Hawks game, one thing that I was meh with the Hornets game is they get these big leads. And I understand the Celtics are 21-1 and this year when they have a lead of 10 points or more. I think their only loss in that was against the 76ers uh, earlier in, in December, that home game that they had on Thursday night. And I – so – it's great to know that when they have a 10-point lead, you can feel confident that they're going to win. But, like, I wasn't confident that they were going to win that Bulls game. I wasn't confident that they were going to win that Hawks game with the way that they crept back. I mean, the fact that the Celtics were up 16 and they went on, like, an 18-7 to run to end the third quarter to really expand that lead and then they let the Bulls go on a 15-2 run, keep the pedal on the metal, fellas. I understand that we got 24 games in 44 days, but, like, what if you're the starters or if you're the bench guys... Don't you want to play more? And if you're the starters, don't you not want to come back in to get some rest? So, like, just end the damn game. Just blow it out of the water. Step on their throats. Get, like, move on. Please, for the love of God. Please. I, I would thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy if we, we would have a 16-point lead and all of us fans would be like, Oh, well, there's still a chance that they're going to come back with the way the Celtics kind of give up big leads sometimes. But... They're 21-1 and one when they have a lead of 10 points or more in a game, so that's good. I don't want to feel that way. I want to be like, oh, we're up 20 or 16 with eight minutes to go. We Gucci. We Gucci. We're all set. That's good. That's what I want. And speaking of things that I want, I want the stud and dud of the week to be announced. So hit the music. And now it is time for the Celtics stud and the Celtics dud of the week. Okay, so your Celtic stud and dud of the week. The stud is Ennis Cantor. Three straight double-doubles this week. Seven double-doubles in the last nine games. He had a career-high six blocks. The NBA was so shocked by him having a career-high six blocks, they drug-tested him the next day. How awesome is that? Ennis Cantor has been fantastic as of late. He really and truly has. He is Really, it took him a while to kind of find his place, find his role, but he has been awesome. Really and truly awesome. I mean, Hawks game, 14 and 11. Bulls game, 17 and 12. I mean, Cantor took literally 17 shots against the Bulls. He had 17 points. It's kind of like Jason Tatum numbers. But, you know, he the Hornets game, he was 13, 13 points, 14 boards, 6 of 7 from the field. He's playing at a really high level, something what we thought would show up. And I didn't think this was going to show up until the playoffs. But if Cantor can play this well with the pace that the regular season's at, once it slows down, Cantor might even be producing at a better level. And I am so high on Ennis Cantor right now, I'm going to put the studded dud of the week and Cantor banter all in the same thing. It's the new year. Let's get crazy. He's a man who loves to get a double-double, but when it comes to the Turkish government, he's in a lot of trouble. It's time for Cantor banter, baby. Wow! And your dud of the week is Jason Tatum and his layups. Just not Jason Tatum himself. I mean, he had a very nice game against the Hornets. He had a very nice game against the Bulls. But Jason Tatum and his layups. Jason Tatum, near the rim in the month of November, shot 41%. So Jason Tatum is what? 6'7", 6'8" good his arm length is probably what seven feet or wingspan whatever 41 percent near the rim in december it went up to 58 percent. so you're like that's sexy he's improving and then in the hornets game and the hawks game combined he was one of 12 near the rim 8.3 percentile 
How? Oh my god. Jason Tatum. I understand that teams can be physical with him, but this dude needs to toughen the fuck up. I I understand he got to the free throw line 10 times against the Hawks game and we should be thrilled. But you know what I want? I want you to go up so strong when you get fouled, all of your strength brings the ball into the basket. I want and ones from Jason Tatum. I want three-point plays from Jason Tatum. I don't want these go up, look like, oh, it's, guys, it's driving me nuts. And I understand we need to be patient with Jason Tatum. Like, we got to treat it like an Usher song, nice and slow. But here's the thing. When it comes time to the playoffs, I want him to show up 7 o'clock on the dot in his drop top cruising the streets. Oh, yeah, I want a real pretty, pretty little thing named Jason Tatum hitting lamps. Yeah, I know that wasn't really how the Usher Nice and Slow song goes, so I'm willing to be patient. I want him to go nice and slow, take it easy. Uh, what, what, take it easy. Is that a Tom Petty song? Yeah, that's a Tom Petty song. Or is it the Eagles? Anyways, doesn't matter. I'm willing to take it slow with him. I'm willing to take it easy. But if he does what he did... To start the new year near the rim in the playoffs, I am going to lose my mind. He can't be doing that. He he can't be. He he cannot be doing that. I don't want ten free throw trips for Jason Tatum with two shots each. I want ten free throw trips with a chance of getting an extra point. That is what I want. If Jason Tatum can finish at the rim. He goes up, and I swear to God, he like doesn't know what to do. He kind of looks like Markel Fultz. Like after he got drafted, he didn't know how to shoot a basketball, even though he was shooting a basketball his entire life. I don't understand how he stopped. Like he just kind of goes up, and he's just like, oh, "Let's try this," or "Let's try this," "Let's try this." No, 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 no. Go up, get hit, get to the line, finish strong. Please, Jason Tatum, please. Your jump shot is so beautiful. Your step back jumper is even prettier. It's so lovely to watch. It really is, especially when they go in. Oh, it really warms my heart. But if you keep throwing up these, I, like, if if I was driving to the rim, I would be throwing up the shots, Jason Tatum. You know, like, I'm a puss. I have no problem admitting that. But, like, the, he just, the way he just throws up some of these things, like, he tries to avoid contact. Go up. Go up strong. It's driving me nuts. But he did have a really nice game against the Hawks. He shot the ball very well. But I just need him to be more confident around the rim. How can you be more confident at the elbow or outside the three-point line than you are when you're literally eye level with the rim, two feet away from it? It absolutely drives me nuts. But let's So that's your stud and dud of the week. We got the stud and dud and canter banter all done in one week. What a time to be alive. 2020 is off to a roaring start. <laughs> Roaring 20, sorry. All right, let's preview the upcoming week for the Boston Celtics. Celtics have four games this week, two on the road, two at home, and one back-to-back like you previously mentioned. Monday, 7 p.m. in Washington against the Wizards, who haven't been playing as well of late, and we'll talk about that in a second. Thursday, they play uh, in Philadelphia at 7 p.m., and then they have two home games this week, Wednesday at 7 p.m. versus the Spurs, and then Saturday at 7 p.m. versus the Pelicans. So let's break down the first game, shall we? First game versus the Wizards, who are... Currently 2-13 and 13 in the last 15 games. They have beat the Knicks and the Pistons in that span, so nothing crazy. IT, Isaiah Thomas, got tossed within the first two minutes of the game the other day, so he's not doing well. Last time these, te- these two teams played, you guys remember that really high-scoring game? It was like 140-133 to 133 or 132. That was the last time. Bradley Beal dropped 44 points, but you did not have Daniel Tice or Gordon Hayward in this game. So obviously, you know, Gordon Hayward, maybe you can defend Bradley Beal a little bit differently, maybe than what Kemba or Marcus were defending. You can throw another body at him. So that's good. Obviously, Tice being involved has been good because, you know, there are some spurts where you're just like, oh my God, Daniel Tice, go back to Germany. But there are also some times where you're like, holy crap, you have improved so much. Thanks so much. So how do you beat the Wizards? I think it's pretty simple. You play defense. Don't let Bertans and Bradley Beal get hot from three. The Wizards are top five in the most points scored per game in the NBA. They love to score, but they also hate to play defense. So they have eight players on their team that average double figures per game. So how are you 2-13 and 13 in your last 15 games? Excuse me. The Celtics only have five players who score in double figures. The Wizards have eight. It's actually pretty crazy. And the Celtics, as of Saturday night, <clears throat> after the Bulls game, 
have the best defense in the league. So top five offense versus the top five uh, top five offense against the number one defense. The number one defense should win. They should not be giving up 133 points to the Wizards. I I don't care how many games they're playing. It's just it just shouldn't be a thing. Just. Don't let Bradley Beal and Bertans get hot. The Wizards are the worst rebounding team in the league, so don't give them second chance points. And it should be an easy ball game. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Wizards because I understand, you know, it's their one, two, three, you know, it's their fourth game in six or seven days. So that is a lot, but it's the Wizards. They're not that great. Every, you know, they're going to give them a tough game. They always do. They always play the Wizards well. Um, what is the Wizards coach's name? Scott something. Anyways, it doesn't matter. He's a good coach. He knows how to play the Celtics well, and it's going to happen. It's going to be competitive for a little bit, but the Celtics shouldn't be letting the Wizards creep back in in the fourth quarter in any way, shape, or form. Then Wednesday night, they finally come back home. Uh, you got the San Antonio Spurs, who are currently fighting for the eighth seed in the Western Conference. They're either like a game up or a game behind. It's like him, them, the Kings, and the Portland Trailblazers are kind of fighting for that spot. The last time the Celtics played the San Antonio Spurs was in San Antonio in November, where Gordon Hayward broke his hand. I believe that game... What what day was that game? Man, what day was that game? I'm having a break. What was that? November 9th? It was like a Saturday afternoon, right? It was like one of those like random like four or five o'clock games. But yeah, the last time the Celtics and Spurs played, Gordon Hayward tried to run through that LaMarcus Aldridge screen and broke his hand. So you better bet your goddamn bottom dollar. Every single time Gordon Hayward tries to go through a screen, I am probably going to clinch my butt cheeks together because I'll be scared shitless. 1,000%. There's a lot of things that the Spurs do well, minus setting really good screens and breaking guys' hands. It wasn't on purpose, I know. They're top 10 in points scored per game. They're top 10 in three-point shooting percentage and top 10 in rebounding. They average the fifth least turnovers in the league. The Celtics are like seventh or eighth. So technically, I think the Celtics have been great this year protecting the ball. Not the case in the Bulls game. I think they had close to 20 turnovers in that game. If Maybe it was 19, but either way, it was close to 20. Obviously, because the next number after 19 is 20, Tim, you moron. But... They can take care of the basketball. The Celtics can take care of the basketball. So forcing turnovers and scoring off turnovers for both teams will be very, very important. And the last time these t- two teams played, if you guys remember, Jalen Brown had himself a game. He really and truly did. 30.7 boards. It was his best game of the season at that point. You know, we're only two or three weeks in, but you could really see that he took he took that great step. The Celtics had an amazing first half. They scored 72 points. This was a game where, like, they should have won by, like, 40, but, you know, they let him creep back in. But... The, the Celtics finished off strong, and this is a, a game where the Celtics did a really, really good job limiting LaMarcus Aldridge. They really did. And, DeMar, you know, DeMar DeRozan is going to get his every single time. But if you can limit LaMarcus Aldridge and then let their point guards, Mills, White, and Murray, not get going, control them, obviously Marcus Smart playing, that's good. Gordon Hayward can or Jalen Brown can defend those guys. That's great. And Pop didn't like the last time. Man, this is like the fourth time I've burped. I don't know why I'm burping when I have a cold, but whatever. Uh, Pop didn't really like how aggressive and phys- or the lack of aggressiveness and physicality from the Spurs in that game. And Pop subbed out all five of his starters in the first five minutes of that game. I, I scrolled up and looked at a, you know, back in the podcast notes. I forget what episode it was, but he, he said that like, he didn't like what their starters were doing. So let's see if they can do that again. You know, pop really made, I don't want to say he like, he made Jalen Brown better, but I think Greg Popovich really showed Jalen Brown some things. And ever since team us team USA basketball, Jalen Brown has really gotten better. And who knows? Brad is probably to thank, but Greg Popovich might need some thank yous too. So limit LaMarcus Aldridge. DeMar DeRozan's going to get his. Mills, White, and Murray. Keep them, you know, they're going to get theirs, but make it reasonable. And then just force turnovers. Force them to be sloppy with the basketball and score off those turnovers. And it should be a win uh, on Wednesday night at TD Garden. Then you play the Philadelphia 76ers at 7 o'clock. On Thursday night in Philly. Third time playing the the 76ers this season. And if the 76ers win, they will win the season series. Just like if you guys remember last week or the week before that, I was preaching how the Celtics have to win 
the Saturday night home game against the Raptors because it would be great for the playoff seedings because if the 76ers and Celtics end with the same record, the 76ers are going to get the higher spot because, well, guess what? They won the season series. So if the Celtics are the five seed and the 76ers are the four seed, they have to play each other in the playoffs. The 76ers would get home court advantage. So just try and win a basketball game against this basketball team. This is the second straight time they are playing them on the second night of a back-to-back. If you are wondering how many how many days the 76ers have off, it's two. So that's really not ideal. 76ers seem to be getting up for really big games. They almost beat the Rockets the other day, and they absolutely destroyed the Bucks on Christmas. So when everyone wants to show up for that basketball team, they'll show up, and they're pretty good. But going into Monday, the 76ers have lost four games in a row. They're 3-7 and seven in the last 10, and a lot of guys are going back and forth in the media without name-dropping. But, you know, Joel Embiid mentioned maybe some guys need to take some open shots. Maybe that's a shot at Ben Simmons because he's too afraid to shoot. Al Horford said he doesn't really feel comfortable playing with the system yet. That's not great either because they're paying him a lot of money. But with all that being said, the 76ers own us this year. They own the Celtics. They beat you twice already, 107-93 and then 115-109. And it's pretty simple. Joel Embiid is going to get his. So at this point, you got to go, I hope Joel Embiid needs a day off. But I don't think he does with two days off. He understands how important the 76ers and Celtics rivalry is, but he owns us. We don't have anyone that can guard him. Yeah, Marcus Smart can be physical. Yeah, Cantor can be physical with him, but Cantor ain't getting six blocks against Joel Embiid. You know, he can get it up against Tyler Zeller or something, or Cody Zeller, whichever Zeller is down in Charlotte, but you you got to control everyone else. Embiid is probably going to get 37 and 12. <laughs> I'm going to call it now. He's probably going to get 37 and 12, and that's okay, but you got to limit the other guys. You can't let Tobias Harris get going. Ben Simmons, this last home game against the 76ers, he probably had his best game against the Celtics in a long time. Maybe he found a little crack in Brad Stevens' defensive system because Brad Stevens really did a great job with Ben Simmons in all the all the playoff series and a lot of the regular season matchups too. I mean, I believe Ben Simmons only scored one point or zero points in one of the playoff games against the Celtics. Was it last year or two years ago? Whatever the case may be. So... That's good. Now, I also understand that you can say like, oh, Marcus Smart didn't play last game, so that's huge. Sure, Marcus Smart coming in will definitely help this basketball team out. No doubt about it. I completely agree. And then the 76ers are also losing someone. Mattis Thibel, he who can lock up Kemba, who has locked up Kemba, who's really good defensively. He's not playing in this game because he's out with a knee injury. A minor knee injury. He played 30 minutes the last time these two teams played, and it's actually pretty crazy how good he has been against the Boston Celtics. So that's crazy. This game, the if you guys remember last time, the reason why this game really frustrated me was because the Celtics let the 76ers take over the game when Joel Embiid wasn't on the floor, and that cannot be a thing. The bench was terrible. The 76ers aren't a great three-point shooting team, and they shot 50% from the field. So limit their three-point shooting, let Embiid get his, and then focus on all the other guys. And I really, truly think, fully healthy, you can beat this basketball team. For real. I really and truly think you can beat this basketball team. I'm, I'm not even lying. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so finally, the final game of the week is at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. Will Zion play? He has been a full participant in practice as of late. If Zion plays, how long will it take for the Pelicans to really gel as a team? How excited will I be to see Zion Williamson, a former Duke Blue Devil play? It will be absolutely crazy. The person who I will be, who I'm really excited to see playing is my lord and savior, J.J. Redick. What a, what a guy. What an athlete. Shooting 48% from three this year at his age on the road is unreal. Top 10 in three-point shooting. Not only J.J. Redick is overall, but the New Orleans Pelicans are a top 10 three-point shooting team in the league. So, play some good three-point defense, Boston Celtics. Rotate well. Pelicans have been playing well as of late. You know, before their loss to the Lakers on Friday night, they won four games in a row against the Trailblazers. Pretty good team. The Nuggets, very good team. Pacers, very good team. Rockets, extremely good team. Not too shabby. Brandon Ingram this year is making a strong case to be an all-star. He really and truly is. 25 points, 7 boards, 4 assists. Ever since he's left the Lakers, he looks like a brand new player, brand new person. You know, you could say, hey, Brandon Ingram might have been, the, you know, a better pick than others in, in that draft. And it's not a shot at, you know, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. But, I mean, I know they were in different drafts, but they're a... Uh, 
Brandon Ingram's playing some great basketball as of late. I don't understand how he does it, because every single time I feel like he walks, he should break with how skinny he is. But hey, it is what it is. But this is a talented team around Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson and J.J. Redick. You know, they have Drew Holiday. He's a great point guard. Frank Jackson, another Duke guy. He's a great backup point guard. You also have Etwan Moore. He can come off the bench and score. I almost wanted to do a banner banter investigation on Etwan Moore. Remember those banner banter investigations? But he's still in the league. But he can come off the bench. He can score. Lonzo Ball. He has his moments. Josh Hart is a perfectly solid bench guy in the NBA. Derek Favors, all he does is just rebound the ball for them. Nikolai Alexander-Walker's on the team. Hopefully he gets more playing time than Romeo Lankford to prove to everyone's point why they should have taken Nikolai Alexander-Walker over Romeo Lankford. I hope Nikolai Alexander-Walker gets like a triple-double in this game. (sighs) Anyways, but here's the thing with the New Orleans Pelicans. They don't like to go to the free-throw line, and they love to turn the ball over, so... The Celtics need to get to the free throw line more and force them to turn the ball over. So basically, the New Orleans Pelicans are bottom 10 in the league in free throw attempts per game. They just like to shoot the basketball. That's probably why they're top 10 in three-point shooting in the league, right? So bottom 10 in free throw attempts, top three in three-point shooting. They are also in the bottom 10 in turnovers per game, the opposite of the Spurs. So force turnovers, capitalize there. They are bottom five defense in the league which you are the top defense in the league, so take advantage of that. You should score over 110 points, if not more, against this Pelicans team. This is a real. This is one of those weeks during this 24 games and 44-day span where the Celtics could really go 3-0, I mean 3-1, 4-0, and it has to happen. This is a huge week because next week you have the Bucks, and you have the Suns. They're always good. You play the Bulls again, and they gave you a game. The Pist- uh, the Bucks game is obviously going to be tough, and then you got the Lakers and et cetera, et cetera. So this is another important week for the Boston Celtics. I think they can, re- you know, if the Celtics can be twenty eight and nine when this is all said and done, going into another four game week, that'd be huge. So big week, maybe Zion plays, maybe the Celtics finally get a victory over the Seventy Sixers, force a lot of turnovers against the. Sacramento, uh, the Sacramento Kings, <laughs> the San Antonio Spurs, and just play defense against the Wizards, and you should get a good outcome. But thank you guys so much for listening to episode 63 of the Banner Banter Podcast. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. And if you, if you don't like listening on iTunes or Spotify, you can also listen on Podbean, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc., etc. Thank you guys so much for listening. Happy New Year. Talk to you guys next Monday. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.